Hi, this is John Anderson. You're listening to Everything Fat Four on Ceylon.com. Welcome to Everything Fab Four, a new podcast focused on fun and intelligent stories about the Beatles. I'm your host, Ken Womack, music culture columnist for Salon.com and a Beatles scholar and historian. No other band or popular phenomenon, for that matter, has enjoyed the global impact of the Beatles. They are part of our human fabric. They created an enduring music that brings people together, and just about everyone has their own Beatles story to tell, some that are surprisingly deep and unexpected. With each episode, we'll be featuring a new guest to share their Fab Four journey, along with amazing theme music from Black Rabbit. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everybody has a story. And I just kind of realized that they were as amazing as, you know, people said they were, but for different reasons, really, for me. It wasn't necessarily that they were some sort of geniuses. They were a band that were given everything And then we're just told, do what you want. You know, they had the confidence of, you know, 20 men. And I think it's just kind of magical to think about about it in that way, that anyone could do, you know, anyone could be the Beatles. Today's guest is a British writer who found her own path in learning to appreciate, even to love, the Beatles. Stephanie Phillips is a London-based arts and culture journalist whose work has been featured in outlets such as The Independent, Time Out, The Wire, The Quietus, Noisy, NME, Kenfolk, and M Magazine. She is also a member of the black feminist punk band Big Joni and is part of the collective behind Decolonize Fest, a London-based festival celebrating people of color in the punk scene. Her essays have appeared in non-fiction anthologies such as On Bodies, Women Who Rock, and Under My Thumb, Songs That Hate Women and the Women Who Love Them. Phillips' nonfiction book project focusing on the work of Solange Knowles will be published by the University of Texas Press in 2021. In her January 2019 essay on loving the Beatles as a black woman, Phillips discovers a way to relate to the Beatles even though, as a woman of color, their version of Britishness didn't reflect her own experience. Welcome, Stephanie Phillips. Well, your Beatles story is one that's very different from most who come from a kind of manic fandom. Yours comes from a very different place, right? I guess guess it was just kind of a general disinterest because it didn't seem to be interested in me, like the whole Beatles, um, the concept of the Beatles and how it was promoted and seen um, in England while I was growing up. You know, especially in the 90s, it was very kind of like, it's like a 60s revival, I guess, looking back there must have been, but at the time it just seemed like the 60s were everywhere. So it was just that, you know, the Beatles were the, you know, the gods and, you know, the greatest thing the British had ever done. And, you know, as a, you know, a black British girl growing up in a country that was uh, um, passive aggressive, I would say, in its um, <laughs> um, displays of, you know, dismissiveness towards all the other races. There was there wasn't really much in the Beatles for me to latch on to. But that was I learned later because of how um 
you know, their story and their myth and their music had been kind of like almost com uh, commandeered by a very specific kind of like white middle class elite. Which brings us to my mind to one of my favorite parts of your very, very shrewd and astute essay on the Beatles, the one where you describe the sad dad army. And to give our audience a sense of the flavor of your exquisite writing, which is just great writing in itself, uh, I'd like to read a couple of paragraphs very quickly uh, to get your comment. They're just extraordinary. Here goes. Almost because of their popularity, the Beatles are also one of the world's most misunderstood bands. The source of the misinformation is usually middle-aged, know-it-all male fans, the kind who only drink real ale and after a few pints speak too loudly on the opinion that modern music is rubbish. These tiresome messengers of the drab bring the four down to the level of mediocrity with their lackluster covers of While My Gent Guitar Gently Weeps and their insistence that Hey Jude is the best Beatles song. It's not, by a long stretch. This left me with the impression that the Beatles' music only sounded sickly, sweet, and terribly dated. The Sad Dad Army wreaked havoc on the Beatles' legacy, and that's even before you get into the steaming layers of toxic masculinity surrounding the band. Each member has had to answer to how they treated the women in their lives, and we all know the stories of violence and macho aggression that are associated with John Lennon. How could I love a band who perhaps didn't love women like me? I didn't know how to get over these barriers. I decided I couldn't and gave up following my own path into the exhilarating world of the riot girl. Yeah, I guess so, you know, again, like growing up, it was that I, I guess you didn't really have a direct, direct contact with the Beatles. From my memory, it was always those kind of, it was just kind of in the air. It was played through. Um, speakers at you know at the supermarkets or it was kind of like on adverts and there was always kind of quite a few steps removed from the actual band so I didn't really know that I didn't even know what they looked like to be honest with you um, I couldn't really I don't think I could have except for maybe John Lennon because you see like the glasses and that kind of like profile um, so it was kind of always one quite a few steps removed and it was always kind of seen as a very English um, kind of approach to music and, and people kind of really loved that they were so successful but it was almost like that success was because they were English um, and then kind of as time goes on I think people forgot the more experimental songs and then just kind of went with the um, very 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 popular ones which you know like Hey Jude and um, while my guitar gently weeps and kind of yellow submarine, and it kind of it just seemed like the you know to me it just it was just completely irrelevant to anything <laughs> in my life, and um, even like I, I don't know if I heard directly their songs. I probably heard a lot of covers realistically um, growing up, or just the instrumentals, or so it just it just seemed very very syrupy, um, and not really yeah it, it, it wasn't as kind of grabbing uh, didn't really grab my attention you bring up here something that i have always wondered about and that is what is it with the british and their cover versions you can't sit in a lounge or at the airport or what have you or where have you without hearing these kind of to use your words syrupy reinterpretation of pop hits well i guess it kind of uh, uh, you know 
comes from that kind of pub rock scene. So, you know, it's quite working class and it would have been the, you know, the people that would have been entertaining would have learnt the latest soul music and soul songs, but then interpreted through their own um, singing style, which has been really interesting and has kind of, you know, um, led to some really cool, you know, I, I guess they call it blue-eyed soul or northern soul at least was a really cool genre in England and was that same, more or less the same idea of kind of working class people, white working class people kind of reinterpreting soul songs or reinterpreting American songs specifically and kind of having the English lilt over it. Um, but again, over the years, it just has become such a general staple that it becomes really regimented so you get kind of like you know the amy winehouse covers but all the grit has been removed from it and it's just kind of someone going through the motions that's it exactly that's exactly what i mean it's as though all the life has been drained out of it the music and it's been homogenized i wonder if you can tell us uh, more about how the beatles have been co-opted by the elites i think i mean definitely in terms of kind of the way that england and, and Britain kind of promotes the Beatles. It was has been for a long time, and in my kind of understanding, has been because you know this is you know the highest standard of music because they are white and English, and you know we should all be proud of the Beatles. And it's kind of like going through that um, way of thinking, um, and it's become almost used as like you know this is better than anything else because of this and this. And it kind of really defeats the point of what the Beatles are because, you know, as you know, they started imitating American rock and American soul and specifically black American musicians. Um, and so that history kind of gets erased from them and then becomes, well, the Beatles were, you know, the, the greatest people to do that genre, even though, you know, they, they were taking inspiration from black people. Um, so I think it's just that general kind of way that history kind of, um, well, specifically the way that white, um, white historians kind of create the history. They will look at a band and look at an event and only see the, you know, the four things that they want to see. And that is often the white male, um, protagonist that they can say is the hero ignoring everything else that happens and everyone else that led them along the way which leads us directly to something that your essay does so very very well and that is demonstrates that the beatles are kind of this unexamined greatness that people just assume is great on its face value that's kind of what was always kind of weird because it was just like well they're just amazing they're just amazing they're just amazing it was like, well why i don't understand like why it's kind of like someone's forcing their opinion on you. And I think, you know, a lot of people find that very, well, it is very oppressive. And, you know, I think that's why a lot of people, I know a lot of kind of black British people don't, wouldn't listen to the Beatles and still haven't because it is just like, it's another, it's almost like another arm of the oppressor <laughs> in terms of kind of that, because I mean, the British have always done that in a way of kind of colonizing other places through, every route that they can do and that has also been through arts and culture and so kind of we always want to be the best in you know you know say our music is the best say our um, literature is the best say our you know the tvs and films and programs and theaters that we do are the best and it's kind of that similar thing really 
of kind of bragging that you know this is the land of Shakespeare, this is the land of the Beatles, um, and it's it feels like you just want to create something yourself and run away from what people are telling telling you to do. And this in turn brings us to what makes your essay so very very insightful uh, because you discovered the Beatles anyway. You just do it on your own terms. It, it was just through my general kind of like um, search for music. I've always been a real music lover. I kind of got into punk and uh, riot girl music when I was a teenager. And then just over the years, I started to kind of examine more and more and kind of like look at who their influences and who their influences were. And then virtually I found um, Throwing Muses and the Pixies, who were American bands that are both from Boston, um, and I just, I guess, like every you know teenage, I just really, I guess I was about twenty or twenty-two, maybe when I found it. Um, I just really fell in love with their music and their drive, and it was just so kind of chaotic, but um, and energetic, um, but had a kind of a reason for being. Um, and kind of as I kind of went over their backlog, I realized that they did covers and that there were Beatles songs. And they didn't sound like anything that would be a Beatles song to me because, again, I thought the Beatles was kind of syrupy and sickly and poppy and and sweet. Um, and they were kind of, I think the Pixies did a cover of um, Honey Pie and Throwing Music did a cover of um, Cry Baby Cry. Um, and then I got into the Breeders, which was Kim Deal's band, who was in the Pixies as well. And they did a cover of... Um... Happiness is a Warm Gun. Yeah, that's it. Happiness is a Warm Gun. Which, again, didn't sound like the way... It was a lot darker, the song, than I thought would be from the Beatles, as I knew it. So that obviously... If, and if all those bands co- covered that song, and I loved all of those bands so much, I thought it made sense to go and find out about that this... <laughs> This, these Beatles um, <laughs> and it happened to be that it was all from the same album from the White Album um, I guess maybe they were all, that, that those bands were all friends and they all had you know, listened to the White Album together they all seemed to be on the same scene so they'd all covered songs from the same album um, so I kind of hunted down the White Album some songs from it and listened to them and I was just really intrigued and confused and it didn't sound anything like I would imagine they would sound like a you know a band from the 60s um they'd been so kind of dominant in my life it it was completely different it was you know experimental and um chaotic and entrancing and kind of everything that I was told that they weren't Gritty. Um, and gritty, yeah. And yeah, gritty and dark. And I just kept listening to it over and over. I think I found it on YouTube. And it was a really, really interesting album um, for me to find at that point. And, and it kind of, I had to admit, it did make sense. It kind of connected all these links. Because then I understood a lot of pop culture references I didn't <laughs> understand before. <laughs> because everything is referenced from that album. And it, I realized that if I wanted to be kind of as interested in music as I am and kind of, you know, I play music, I write about music, 
I had to kind of learn more about the Beatles and just slowly over the years I started listening to more of their records and more of their albums and I just kind of realized that they were as amazing as you know people said they were but for different reasons really for me it wasn't necessarily that they were some sort of geniuses it was because they were a band that were given everything and then were just told do what you want you know they had the confidence of you know 20 men and so it's kind of like what can you create when you're that confident when you're that um privileged in a way and when you have kind of the world at your feet um and I think it's just kind of magical to think about, about it in that way that anyone could do, you know, anyone could be the Beatles. We'll be right back with more from Stephanie Phillips. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back on Everything Fab Four with Stephanie Phillips. Stephanie, we were just talking about this idea of labeling uh, parts of our culture as the, the works of genius. I wonder, why do we do that? Why are we so quick, uh, almost in a knee-jerk reaction, to describe the things that we love as genius? I don't know. I guess there, there's this weird way of wanting to understand how things come to be. Because I guess sometimes it seems confusing. But I guess if you ask, you know, when I look at any interviews by, you know, any of the members, they just they're just very honest they just you know they say we put two and two chords together we thought these words sounded nice and then we went along with it and it isn't really like they were kind of you know doing anything in particularly different to anyone else they were just very precise in the way that they were doing things and they were very confident about themselves and they knew that they were good so I think you know there is there's kind of human need to kind of distinguish and have a hero, um, the genius that is better than the rest of us. Um, and also I think it, it is again, that kind of idea of like wanting to have the the male hero, the white male hero that is kind of better than the rest of us. And that, that we can say, well, this will make me feel good as a white man because then I can see myself reflected. And I think that is a lot of, of it in terms of kind of not wanting anyone else to be at the top because you want to see yourself reflected in your heroes. And of course, all of this transforms the Beatles into a kind of nostalgia act, right? Instead of what they really are, they become the emblem of the sad dad army, as you wrote, the ones who sit around in pubs with the right kind of ale, reminiscing about the way things used to be and the way things should be in their minds. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's the thing, like, it's it's kind of sad because you're, you know, you're listening to this music but probably not that in depth because if you were you would hear it reflected in practically every band that's going around now I mean I don't know if there is many bands that haven't been affected by the Beatles I mean I was and I didn't even realize I was being affected by them um so it's impossible to kind of say that modern music is rubbish because modern music is the legacy of the Beatles and the legacy of the you know the Stones and kind of 
all those bands that were around at that point, they had such a, a wide reach that you can't really get away from them. Right, and we could even be more reductive and say all the, the Beatles are, uh, you know, the legacy of the great composers who knew that you yeah. need a bass line and you needed percussion and drama and a <laughs> great melody. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were just kind of, they were good at their craft and they, you know, were, worked hard at it. And that's kind of the brilliant thing about it, <laughs> which I find really, I don't understand why people don't want to know that because to me, that's so intriguing. That means that anyone could be the Beatles. And we could have a Beatles tomorrow. And that's so exciting. I, I can't wait for the next one. I totally agree with yeah. you. And the idea that um, the idea that there are these geniuses, and you also point this out very well in your essay, kind of robs them of the more interesting human story. You know, of people being ambitious and uh, realizing at some level, you know, we're only here for a while as a group or as human beings and let's do this. Uh, yeah. That's that's it. I mean, that's the excitement of art and creation and all that good stuff. Exactly. I mean, I feel like that was kind of something that they all, it seems like they just got, um, when, from when they first got together, they were just, they knew that they were very ambitious. They knew what they wanted to do. And they worked really, really hard to get there. So to kind of take that away from them and just kind of <laughs> pretend that, they, you know, they just they just happened to be this band, you know, it isn't like that. They worked really hard. Um, so you kind of have to kind of put everything into context, I think. Sure, and then the Sad Dad Army <laughs> robs uh, potential new listeners by just accepting it as fact that they're this kind of perfect thing uh, mm. and not letting people find their, their own entree. I love when you talk, too, about, um, you know, the reality of them. John Lennon talking about his moments of violence toward women. Um, I, I'm always curious, particularly in, in the age, right, of cancel culture, uh, why do you think the Beatles have not been um, assailed in some way, you know, by our culture, which at the moment rightly points out uh, behavioral traits that we would prefer not to continue to mirror in culture uh, and in some cases cancels them, right? You know, a good example, I suppose, would be um, in uh, the court of public opinion and the treatment of Michael Jackson, who obviously has well-known legal baggage and, you know, and other sorts of issues. Um, do we or do we not still listen to them? How do you think the Beatles have kind of escaped cancel culture? I guess, I mean, the problem with cancel culture is that it isn't, uh, it isn't really a real thing that ever, or it isn't something that is any is lasting in any way. I mean, people have been cancelling R. Kelly for over a decade now. Um, he still has a job. <laughs> he's, he's, I think he's well. I think he's someone's working on getting him in jail. But you know, it's 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 not a legitimate thing. And you know, I think people are aware of. John Lennon's past and, you know, you know, the Beatles weren't necessarily all great to their wives. <laughs> they did cheat on most of them. Um, but it, it is about being aware of that person as a human being in their entirety. And, 
not wanting to kind of strip them of their humanity and that you know there was a lot of, about John Lennon that was very negative and there was a lot about him that was kind of very um emotional and sad and he had kind of a, a difficult upbringing in some ways and that's kind of reflected almost in his approach to life in that in those kind of later in those kind of later years um and so yeah I think you just have to I think people do bring it up to be honest kind of every now and again when people kind of remember it's almost kind of like a two-year cycle of people forget and then oh yeah it comes out to it it's like I remember when John Lennon did this it's like well yes I remember <laughs> he wasn't that great he admitted that he wasn't that great to be fair sure in his la- one of his last interviews there's a wonderful yeah. quote where he says something along the lines is and it's sad because of the irony you'll hear in a moment he says something along the lines of I will have to be- live for a very long time and be a much older person before I can uh, really be excused for some of the things I did in my past. Yeah. I mean, yeah. wow, that's a yeah. that's blistering a- self uh, analysis. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very hard thing to come um, to, actually, I think, in terms of being that self aware. I don't know many people that could do that. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to take that person at the, as they are. And there is a difference between the person and the art, I would say. Um, Because all art is going to be here. Once it's made, it's just here. We can't really get rid of it. Um, And it has to be kind of critiqued within its context. So you have to look at, you know, I don't know which song, you know, those particular songs he wrote about himself and then be able to analyse it looking at how he was and what he meant and, you know, we can't really pretend it didn't happen. That's right. And you know, that's right. We can't pretend that the human failures didn't happen, but we, like you just said, we can't pretend that the art isn't made and concretized and will live forever in some interesting uh, digital form, probably. Uh, I remember listening when, when cancel culture was, uh, was coming for Michael Jackson. And of course the allegations are horrible. Uh, proven and unproven, they're just horrible. And uh, and then I listened to the "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough," which is an incredible recording, right? With so much, uh, you know, to borrow your phrase from earlier, magic and panache. It's all there, and you know, I can separate this terribleness from the distilled pure beauty of the moment that created that song. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get, and again, it, it depends on the individual and then what your connection to that in, that um, artist or, and their work is. Um, because if, if it's something that means a lot to you and you can kind of find a connection there, you know, it is, it is still going to be there, I guess. You know, we're, we're probably not going to get rid of Michael Jackson records. <laughs> I mean, and I guess we can't even... I mean, there are some, for example, R. Kelly records where... The song is more or less about him liking younger women um, and it's very explicitly said and that's something that his fans have to deal with because you, you can't really deny what he was talking about in the songs. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and be honest with the artist and come to terms with it in some sort of way. Sure. And then there's the whole issue of, you know, you, you mentioned how people become fans of an artist, but then there, 
so much music is consumed by simply hearing a song in a moment in time that may have nothing to do with that artist, but is about you and your life mm. and, and how it makes you feel. Uh, and maybe that's the problem for the sad dad army, right? They want to feel like they did back when the army was, you know, still uh, doing military operations to extend the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's definitely kind of about wanting to kind of feel youthful again, but also to just feel like you have some relevance. Um, it, you know, to me, it just seemed like it's more about wanting to, them wanting to be John Lennon, but not having the <laughs> the guts, the wherewithal, the confidence to just do it themselves. So they have to kind of put their headphones on and listen to it and kind of like tell everyone else this is the best music in the world. This is a, I'm, I'm going to read you to you again. <laughs> uh, this is such a well-wrought phrase uh, and, and, and concept in a world where black bodies are policed at every available moment and black joy is looked on with suspicion there is rarely an opportunity for black people to dream freely it's why i always tell my friends about the power of the beatles though my sales pitch often falls on deaf ears who would believe black people could find respite in the words of four white guys from liverpool yeah <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, you sure did, and it's beautiful. Yeah. But how how is it then that um, that you can help uh, black friends understand that while the Sad Dad Army and other parts of British culture have sort of built a wall around the Beatles, that there still is a way in for them? I guess it, you know, for me, it's it's about the individual journey. So I had to kind of completely forget about the Beatles and kind of find my own way in. And if you're kind of listening to music all the time, you, you will find your own way into the Beatles that that's kind of relevant to you and is kind of like almost like, it's almost like they can kind of um, create their own playlist kind of on their own, just because whatever you're listening to, there is a, a Beatles song that is of relevance. And that that is kind of inspired that song. Um, so I think it's more about kind of taking it in your own time, um, and also kind of like understanding kind of Black history, Black British music history, and Black American music history, and kind of seeing how linked they were. Um, you know, in the sixties, it's I mean, people do are you know aware that. You know, the Stones were very, very, very influenced by American music. You know, the Beatles were very, very influenced by Black American music. And that history and that legacy is in there and is still kind of at the roots of rock and roll. And I feel like that's something that Black people should kind of take advantage of and and celebrate because it's our legacy and it's our kind of influence and our inspirations that have created this music um and there wouldn't you know there wouldn't be a Beatles without the things that kind of African-Americans were doing in the 50s and 60s it just wouldn't happen so then where would you recommend people start uh, on their Beatles journey sometimes I think the best Beatles albums are maybe like the first 
the first couple because they're just so they're just so honestly kind of like you know they weren't really expecting anything so they just decided oh you know we'll we'll write some pop songs and they'll just be like kind of cute and it, it's just kind of like a really lovely introduction to them um but I, I think the white album's a really cool introduction because it's kind of so well known it's you know people know the the name the white album at least um it's got really cool pop songs on it and it's got really cool experimental songs on it and you can tell the legacy and history and kind of understand why they are that band that they are if we could pretend for a moment um and it maybe it feels like this right now during covid but uh that you were on a desert island what would be that one Beatles song you would want to have with you oh my gosh oh that's really hard oh it would have to be something happy because i feel like i always love um eight days a week because that's just so sweet or i want to hold your hand Mm -hmm. but um maybe i'd just be really depressed no i'll listen to tomorrow never knows that's a good one and it's loaded with all sorts of sound and imagery before we sign off, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your uh, book that you're coming out with on Solange Knowles. Yeah, so um, I started working on the book a couple of years ago and it's um, finished now. Hopefully it should be out next year. Um, but the book is kind of going to be looking at her life and looking at her work. And I'm going to try and argue that Solange matters to the world because she kind of took this unconventional path um, that was kind of directly opposite to the way that her sister went about her pop career and kind of those unconventional kind of leaps and bounds were what led her to be the kind of um, artist that she is that's kind of so important to so many people and so so important to the black community as well. That really sounds like something we can all be looking forward to and uh, you know you've already done great service to our understanding of, of the Beatles by helping us to take issue with the genius myth. It, it just makes the music more enjoyable to me, I think, to kind of feel like you're kind of really getting into what, you know, what John was thinking at this moment, what George was kind of like trying to get through, you know, with this moment. I mean, the thing that I really love about the Beatles, I realized was that even though I'm sure they were like super, super confident guys and like really kind of, you know, um, egotistic maybe outside of the recordings you know on record I feel like I can't hear their egos I feel <laughs> like it's just if there needs to be a drum solo here there will be a, if if not there isn't if there needs to be a guitar solo here there will be if not there isn't there's no one kind of like you know no kind of that heavy rock thing of like passive aggressively playing the guitar solo too for too long or too loud it's just kind of like everyone working in tandem as a machine to make this these kind of epic little pop um, songs. And it's, I feel like that's really, really, really intriguing to hear that they were able to constantly do that no matter how their relationship was at the, you know, at the time or what was going on in the band. It just always kind of came out as just, yeah, no ego. No ego indeed. Well, thank you so much for being here today with us, Stephanie. And if listeners would like to learn more about your work, I strongly encourage them to go to audiofem.com, A-U-D-I-O-F-E-M-M-E.com, to see the Only Noise series where they'll be able to find your exquisite essay. 
thank you so much for being here with us on Everything Fab Four. Everything Fab Four is presented by Salon.com, the premier news, politics, innovation, and arts website. For more information about the podcast, visit everythingfab4.com, where you can learn more about our podcast and my latest Beatles-related book, John Lennon 1980, The Last Days in the Life. The Everything Fab 4 theme song, Seize the Day, is provided courtesy of Black Rabbit, the high-octane Beatles cover band and innovative psychedelic rock project from Rockaway Beach, Queens in New York City. Like what you heard today on Everything Fab 4? Be sure to subscribe give us a rating, and recommend the show to your friends. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EF4Podcast. Distributed by Salon, Everything Fab 4 is a wonderful all production with editing and post-production assistance from music industry and communication students at Monmouth University. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everyone has a story.